I want you to think of someone who you know personally and you think this person would never come to church, let alone give their lives to Jesus. I want you to think of the person who you think would be the most unlikely convert to Christianity. Just keep that person in mind. So let's cast the net a lot wider. Who do you think would be the most unlikely person or group of people to convert to Christianity full stop? You don't have to know this person or these people. Out of everyone in the, alive in the world today, who would we put at the top of our list of unreachable people? Maybe a certain world leader. Perhaps you think of a particularly hedonistic music artist or actor. Uh, maybe you think of adherence of other religions. You may be pushing that a bit further. Uh, perhaps an Islamic extremist, a jihadist uh, bent on the destruction of Christianity. Are there people about whom we think, ah, there's no way that this person could ever become a follower of Jesus Christ? Because Acts 10 reminds us that there was a group of people from a Jewish perspective who were excluded from God's family, namely the Gentiles. In other words, anyone who wasn't Jewish. A non-Jew, a Gentile, could become Jewish through circumcision, but that wasn't the norm. And no Jew could ever imagine that Gentiles would come to belong to God's family en masse. Now let's remember that Jesus was Jewish. It's easy to forget that because uh, whenever we see Jesus portrayed in art or film, he looks Caucasian, Uh, but he was Jewish. And so were all the first Christians. It's not surprising then that these Jewish followers of Jesus had an ingrained Jewish perspective. So in spite of all that Jesus said and did, uh, they didn't anticipate that the Gentiles would be included in God's family. The very thought of it was beyond their comprehension. And so from Peter's perspective and from the perspective of all the first Christians, an uncircumcised Gentile Roman soldier wouldn't just be an unlikely person to become a Christian. He would have been a person for whom it was impossible to become a Christian unless he first became Jewish. They may well have thought that Christianity wouldn't appeal to such a man, but more important, they had a deeply held conviction that the door was firmly closed to such a man, unless he first underwent circumcision. But Galatians 3.28 says this, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one, In Christ Jesus. Well, today, as we study Acts 10, we see the church taking the first and most significant step towards that position. Two weeks ago, our theme was divine appointments. Well, Acts 10 details what is undoubtedly one of the most, if not the most important, divine appointment in the history of the church a meeting between a Roman centurion called Cornelius and Peter. Uh, Jesus' most trusted friend and disciple. So firstly, we have Cornelius. He was a man in authority, relatively wealthy and powerful. Uh, But that wasn't enough to fulfill him. 
It never is. Wealth and power are an illusion. It's not a sin to be wealthy or powerful, but those things will never uh, bring us peace with God, and Cornelius knew that. So Cornelius was a man who was spiritually hungry, and he recognized Israel's God as the one true God. Uh, He was seeking God, only to discover that God had been seeking him all along. So at three in the afternoon, which is actually uh, a time of prayer, and Cornelius sees this vision of an angel who tells him to send men to Joppa and bring back Peter. Now, we've heard a lot about Peter over the last few weeks. Last week, we heard how Peter responded to sickness and death. He used the power and authority given to him by Jesus to heal a paralyzed man and raise a dead woman to life. Now Peter is about to be confronted with a very different challenge, that of recognizing his own racial and religious discrimination. N.T. Wright wrote this about the Jewish perspective on the Gentile world. This is how the Jews uh, would have viewed everyone who wasn't Jewish. He wrote this. The tragedy was that Israel twisted the doctrine of election into one of favoritism became filled with racial pride and hatred, despised Gentiles as dogs, and developed traditions that kept them apart. That was the Jewish perspective of the Gentile world, and that can only be described as racism. A careful study of the Old Testament reveals that this is not the way that God intended his people to go, but somehow they'd reached this position all the same. Peter was racist, probably no more so than any other Jew than his, or of his epoch. Uh, but the fact remains that he was racist towards anyone who wasn't Jewish. But this is not a slur against Judaism. If anything, it's a slur against humanity. Human beings frequently segregate themselves into different factions based on race, ethnicity, nationality, religion, socioeconomic groupings, level of education, and so on. We like to be part of the in-crowd and to see everyone else as outsiders. And this tendency manifests itself in all kinds of ways. Uh, Everything from out-and-out racism and hatred to forming exclusive cliques with our friends. I recently read an article titled, Am I Invisible? And it was written by a mum who felt completely excluded by the other mums at the school that her daughter had recently began to attend. And when I finished reading the article, I scrolled down. You know how you get the comments underneath. And I was horrified. Because a lot of these comments were from Christians who had felt excluded at the churches they'd attended. And that is a total travesty. And it concerns an issue that is dealt with right here in the book of Acts. Because Peter thought that there was an element of exclusivity to the Christian faith. Well, God sends Peter a vision that contradicted that notion in the strongest possible terms. Uh, Peter was up on the roof at midday. He fell into a trance and he saw this large sheet or sail filled with all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Now, you'll know that there were animals that the Jews were allowed to eat. 
clean animals. And there were other animals that the Jews were not allowed to eat, unclean animals. And there were various ways to distinguish between the two. Well, this sheet contained all sorts of animals, clean and unclean, all mixed together. And a voice spoke to Peter saying, get up, Peter, kill and eat. In other words, you no longer have to differentiate between clean and unclean animals. You can eat anything. And Peter replies, surely not, Lord. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. So the voice spoke a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. But this vision wasn't sent to change Peter's diet. It was sent to change Peter's heart. The clean animals in the vision represent the Jews and the unclean animals in the vision represent the Gentiles. And yet they were all to be treated the same. There was no distinction between them. So Peter sees this vision three times and he's scratching his head trying to work out what it all means, at which point Cornelius' men arrive looking for him. Now in addition to the vision, the Holy Spirit speaks to Peter and this is what he says. He says, Simon, that's Peter's other name, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. So of course Peter goes with these men who take him to Cornelius' home in Caesarea. And Peter preaches the good news of Jesus to all those assembled there. Quite a large uh, congregation of Cornelius' friends and relatives. And everyone who hears Peter's message, everyone who hears this message, is filled with the Holy Spirit and they began speaking in languages that they'd not learned and they were praising God. And that's exactly what happened to the Jewish believers on the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, the the Jewish believers were baptized with the Holy Spirit. And on this occasion at Cornelius' house, the Gentile believers are baptized with the very same spirit. There is no difference between them. And this is where the penny drops for Peter. He finally gets it. And towards the end of chapter 10, we read, Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. This was a watershed moment for the church. The realization that those outsiders could actually be incorporated into God's family. Now, the issue of Gentile inclusion wasn't fully resolved. Uh, There were others who took a great deal more uh, convincing. But this was certainly a defining moment. Those Gentiles, those outsiders, were incorporated into the body of Christ and the Holy Spirit put God's seal on their inclusion. So who do we see as outsiders? Let's think back to the question that we began with. Who is that person or group of people that we deem to be the most unlikely converts to Christianity? Could it be that we see them as outsiders? We started by thinking about a person we know. Uh, We may have thought about someone who we love, who we desperately want to see saved. We may have thought about someone who we don't like very much and we think, well, they're far too proud and thick-headed to ever give their life to Jesus. But either way, it would be a mistake to write them off 
as unreachable. We can't put people in pigeonholes like that. Jesus' first followers, including those who spent most time with him, thought there was no way that Gentiles could be included in the people of God. From their point of view, it wasn't just unlikely, it was impossible. But that notion got turned on its head. The floodgates opened and Gentiles came pouring into the church. You know, this passage has less to do with the conversion of Cornelius, the Roman centurion, and more to do with the conversion of Peter. Peter needed a change of heart. And if we are categorizing people as unreachable or even just as unlikely Christians, then we too need a change of heart because no one is unreachable. Earlier, I hinted perhaps rather provocatively that maybe a jihadist would be the most unlikely convert to Christianity, the, 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 the person uh, who would be most close to the gospel. And such a person might be, but not necessarily. I recently read an article in the New York Times about a man named Bashir Mohammed, and Bashir fought on the front lines of the Syrian civil war for an offshoot of Al-Qaeda. And he saw and did some pretty horrific things. And then through an incredible sequence of events, he gave his life to Jesus. The first thing, his cousin, who'd actually introduced him to Islamic extremism, uh, moved to Canada and converted to Christianity. Then his wife became uh, critically ill uh, at the point of death. And in desperation, Bashir allowed his cousin's prayer group to sing and pray for his wife's healing over the phone. And his wife uh, recovered within a few days. On top of that, both Bashir and his wife uh, were spoken to by God through dreams. So Bashir became the jihadi who turned to Jesus. That was the name of the article. No one is unreachable. No one is unreachable. If we mentally put certain people beyond God's reach, then we are effectively creating an us and them type scenario. It's like we put a barrier between that person and the church. Let's not do that. Instead, let's pray earnestly for those people. Those people that we might otherwise see as outsiders, let's pray them into the church. But even within the church, and I'm talking about the worldwide church, we have a tendency to put up barriers between different groups of people. Uh, we divide ourselves by denomination, nationality, age group, wealth, and so on. That's the way of the world. That should not be the way of the church. We used to live in a very multicultural area in London, and to a large extent, people used to stay within their own communities, whether that was uh, Turkish or Somali, Polish, Caribbean, whatever it was. And to be honest, that's pretty normal and I think understandable. We naturally gravitate towards those who we perceive to be like us. But as Christians, we have to look much deeper. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Jew, Gentile. Slave, free, male, female. These were the boundary markers and hierarchies that defined ancient society. 
from a Jewish perspective, the difference between a Jew and a Gentile was enormous. We can barely uh, begin to imagine how different those two groups were and are in Jewish thought. And yet Peter had learned in a very dramatic fashion that in Christ there is no difference. There is no difference whatsoever. And so for the church, the boundary lines of nationality, ethnicity, language, skin color, age, sex, income, education are completely irrelevant. They are no more relevant than the color of our eyes or the size of our feet. We are all one in Christ Jesus. There is no member of Christ's body who is more or less important than anyone else. It's interesting, when Peter and Cornelius met, they both broke social taboos. When Peter entered the house of a Gentile, he wasn't just breaking with Jewish custom, he was breaking Jewish law. And then the Roman centurion, Cornelius, he fell at Peter's feet in reverence as soon as he entered the house. The Jews were under the thumb of the Roman Empire. No Roman centurion was ever going to throw themselves at a Jew's feet. That would be utterly beneath them. But Cornelius did it. Of course, his act of reverence was misguided, and, and Peter corrects him. Let me just read verses 25 and 26. It says, As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. Those two verses alone show us that it's inappropriate to reject anyone as unclean, in this case by refusing to enter their home, and it's equally inappropriate to worship anyone as divine by falling at their feet. Now, I doubt that there's anyone here today who is likely to reject someone as unclean in the Jewish sense. Uh, I doubt there's anyone here today who is likely to worship someone as divine. I hope not. However, we do sometimes discriminate. We do sometimes have favorites. In other words, even though we are all one in Christ Jesus, we don't always treat everyone with the same love and respect. I'm not talking specifically about this congregation. I'm talking about the church in general, the worldwide church. A lot of people have been made to feel unwelcome or excluded by the church, like those people who wrote in the comments of the article I read, am I, ex am, am I invisible? Some congregations can be quite cliquey. But you know, when you join a new church, you shouldn't have to break your way into a clique. Other congregations can be quite exclusive, snobby even. You know, a, a homeless person turns up and they get treated differently. They get ushered to the back of church, or worse still, they get ushered out of the church altogether. At my, uh, the last church where we were, there's um, an, an Irish guy in his 50s called Patrick, and Patrick had had a really hard life. And he often used to come to church quite drunk. And on one occasion, I was at the back of church. I was the curate. The vicar was leading the service at the front. And Patrick came in very drunk and very agitated. And he wanted to go straight to the front of church. I was, in, I was encouraging him to sit down at, at the back because he could sometimes cause quite a commotion. But in the end... I realized I had a choice, either to tackle this guy to the ground or let him go to the front. So I let him go to the front. And he started shouting at the vicar at the top of his voice, in the middle of a service, demanding that he pray for him. 
And John, the vicar, he stopped what he was doing. He put an arm around Patrick. He prayed for him. He took him by the hand. He led him to the back of church. He sat down and he chatted with him for the rest of the service. And I uh, stepped in and I continued leading the service where John had left off. Luckily, he wasn't given the sermon, but even if he had been, I think his actions said more than any sermon could have done. Other congregations can be judgmental. You know, someone comes into the church with lots of tattoos or an unusual uh, hairstyle, and instead of being given a warm welcome, they're given a wide berth and dirty looks. But this is not how it's meant to be in the church. We don't look down on anyone, and we don't elevate anyone as if they're somehow more important. And if we think of the way that society works, the way that people think, I think we can see that this, this is not the way of the world. This is counter-cultural. We are called to be different. Now, the barrier between Jews and Gentiles is not really a thing in our culture here in Springfield. But other barriers do exist. We categorize. We pigeonhole. We stereotype. We make assumptions. We discriminate. We get cliquey. We exclude people and we treat people differently based on all kinds of prejudices. But there is no place for any of that in the church of Christ. Anyone can come to Christ. Anyone can be included. And the church is the one place where everyone should be treated with the same love, dignity and respect. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you did indeed come to save the whole of humanity. That the invitation to come to you for salvation is open to everyone. And Father, we pray that you'll help us to see the ways in which we might discriminate ourselves. Might see people in a different light. Father, help us to see Everybody, as a human being made in your image, someone that you love and died for, we pray, Father, that we can extend that love out into the world. Father, we pray that we'll be a community that is characterized by love. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.